Say that the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. Hello, wow, <laughs> you go back about 60 episodes for that bit. Wow, <laughs> just you know, it just felt like jumping in a little early. Okay, well, that's Glenn Fitzgerald, he's the president of Mission USA. Hello, so joining us, is Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. Greetings and salutations. So joining us, all of America, Tennessee, one of the pastor of Christ Church, Lee Younger. Must be nice to be able to do an impression of a Talk show host. It's pretty great. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. He was doing Dick Cavett. <laughs> Dick Cavett. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to the wisdom. I'm ready to do this. Well, Glenn, I'm not sure that you want to do that. Oh, uh, really? I, I, I feel like I want to do that. Well, I, I think that... I feel it real hard. I think we might have other things to talk about that you might enjoy talking about. I can't imagine what that would be. Almost genius level things to talk about. Mm. Now, Jed, in this modern world of ours, the word genius gets thrown around so, so callously. Sure. The genius of Taylor Swift. Sure. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) The genius of the Kardashian marketing. Sure, absolutely. What kind of genius are we talking about? Is this a... A country music genius, an e-network genius. I think we have to discuss before us, gentlemen, a full-on Christian publishing-approved ministry genius. Uh Uh-oh. It's true. Well, I feel like you must be talking about your Tim Kellers, your... Francis Chance, yeah, you're pretty prominent to get that Christian publishing approved. I'm talking about something much closer to home, and on that basis, I declare a very special emergency. Not sure why you started doing a Jim wow. Carrey impression uh, in living color era Jim Carrey, no less. Uh, that was. Let's just move on from that. Yeah, a little uncomfortable, Glenn. Yes, I just wanna just wanna be with you. What happened to moving on? Here's what we're talking about, people. Uh, big news. I mean, really huge, enormous news. Epic. I think Epic is a fair uh, estimation. Here's what we're dealing with. We got a friend. I think friend is fair. Yeah. Friend of the ministry, friend of the program. Mm -hmm. A professor at the Wheaton College. Right. That's the Billy Graham one. That's right. That Wheaton (laughs) College. He wrote a book for uh, a little publisher you might have heard of. Yeah. Zondervan. That's right. Do you have a Bible in your house? If you do, you've bought something from Zondervan. That's, That's right. right. That's right. Wrote a book for him. Now, he's an expert in um, sociology, really, is right. his field. Um, and uh, he, he teaches sociology at Wheaton, but, but a lot of his focus has to do with things related to urban ministry right. um, and, and what the church should be looking at in the 21st century. And, and that's what his new book really is about. Um, we're going to pull it out real quick and read off the title for you um, here so we can tell you technically what it is. The title is Cities of Tomorrow. And the city to come: a theology of urban life. There you go. Not, not to interrupt the flow. I, I want Jed to get back to this. Is it wrong that when I heard "Cities of Tomorrow," I had a whole different book in mind, like a lot of flying, floating space cars and that yeah. kind of thing, yeah. more of an Asimov thing? Yeah, sort of a you know Jetson style, but it, 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 tubes. Sure, a lot of tubes. Uh, and and just as a side <laughs> note, 
We get back to what you're saying. Absolutely. As a side note, let's get back to tubes. Sure. You know what I mean? Because that could solve a lot. But go ahead. You got a whole Futurama thing going. Yeah. And I appreciate right. that. Right. Uh, so we got the book. Now here's why we're bringing it up. A, he's our buddy. Got a yep. new book. Yep. Um, yep. You should go buy the book. It's people good do stuff. often write in asking us what books can I, that I can find at the Christian bookstore. Or do you recommend? Which we can almost always just reply, eh, nothing. <laughs> you should buy <laughs> this. One, we have though. an answer. Yes. Well, yeah. Noah is one of those very rare guys who both really is an expert in his field and is a really good dude who really loves the Lord. That's absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually pretty rare to find Volunteers that combination. The bridge has written a bridge box devotional for us about bringing people from his church to be a host team at our bridge service. Yep. Exactly right. Uh, just a great dude, really good guy. Um, you'll be hearing more from him on this podcast in the near future. One but hope. here's the thing is this book actually features very prominently um, a lot of commentary and high praise actually for the ministry that we do here in Chicago. Ah, nice. But there's one moment in particular, and that's yeah. why we've just got to, we got to take a break here. We mm-hmm. really got to get into it. Mm. That refers to the, and I quote, the genius of the ministry. Oh, wow. Now, we read that uh, uh-huh. over lunch mm-hmm. recently because, of course... Zondervan sent a complimentary copy to yeah. one Glenn Fitzgerald. A pre-release copy. And um, pretty much, I think it's fair to say that Glenn has decided that this is, of course, referring to him. Well, yes. I mean, uh, you know, that's uh, just, it follows logically that... that that's the, the genius, genius of the ministry, of the ministry is Glenn. Yeah, I mean, we, we don't, it's not spelled <laughs> out specifically. But that's what it's saying. I mean, it could refer to the genius of the ministry in general sure. as a general concept. Sure, absolutely. Which you did design and implement. So, so, you know. so it all, all that, you know, basically, it's saying that I'm a genius. Absolutely right. Glenn is, as of now, a bona fide, certified yeah. Zondervan ministry genius. It's been published. And I think the thing that we need to look at is clearly that means there's going to be some changes around here. Sure. Well, for for one, and the, the week leading up to this recording, it's been a little hard to suggest things to Glenn. That's right. So, Glenn, now that you are a certified ministry genius, right. I just what what kind of changes can we expect to see in, in Mission USA as a whole, but particularly here on the Say That podcast? Right. Well, here's what's going to happen. Every now and then I'm going to have an observation, mm. and everybody just stop what you're doing. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And they they could come at me at all odd hours. For example, an observation about tubes. Perfect example. Okay. See what I mean? I Because Cities of Tomorrow... Tubes. Tubes is the right. first thing that comes to my mind. Wow, that's totally genius, bro. See, see what's happening is <laughs> I start thinking about tubes, you know what I mean? Pneumatic. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Old school, yet futuristic. Right. Okay. We're going everywhere in tubes, y'all. Right. You follow? Sure. It's green. Sure. Okay. Totally. Economically, because it's all air. Sure, absolutely. That's totally uh, environmentally <laughs> friendly. Exactly right. Okay. Big puff of air, get in your pneumatic tube, bam. Done. You're there. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Okay, problem solved. Why? Genius. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to have these thoughts. Right. Everybody stop what you're doing. Right. I give a thought. Somebody, for heaven's sake, write it down. Write it down. Absolutely. Get you know, working. we are recording this. <laughs> yeah, this so is. writing it down may not be a, this is what I'm saying. a necessity. Get that 
to the tube technology people right now. Right. Get them working on that sure, now. Sure, sure, absolutely. So, so wait, your idea is there's a, a company of people who already do tubes. Right. They're tube guys. <laughs> They're in lab coding say, Glenn says more tubes. <laughs> right, yeah. And they'll be like, more tubes. <laughs> of course. Yes. Of course. <laughs> that, we did just human-sized tubes. Oh, not, we were doing the ones for the bank where you put <laughs> sure, absolutely. It is yeah. not a growth industry. Right. Like this is you put it you put a human in the tube. Well, certainly we want to be ready to receive on a moment's notice all tube related insights. Right. Right. No sure. question about that. But yeah. here's something, you know, because uh, I think it affects our listeners and we want to be clear on this is, you know, one can imagine receiving wisdom so potent Mm-hmm. So strong, your brain would just explode. Sure. Right? Yep. Now that you're... Jed, I've said it before. I'm going to say it for the last time. Scanners was not a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Quit saying that. Now that you are... Because I think we've come close to melting people's brains on this podcast before. All I think time. we've come not right so up much the with the genius as with the terrible things we say. Now that you are a certified genius, it's right. like this. It's, I've heard, and it's almost certainly a lie, but I've heard that like martial artists, like their hands are classified as a deadly weapon. Right. Yeah, that's not true. Okay. It, what if your genius brain yeah. has to be classified as a deadly weapon because it could make other people's brains explode? Do we wow. need a disclaimer on this podcast? Clearly. Because we might just melt your brain. This is, look, we've told the people time and again, Please be careful when you listen to this podcast. Absolutely. Your brain could melt. There's okay. a genius talking There's here. There's a genius at work here. Okay, y'all, a certified Zonderfin genius. It's been published. Also, it's in black and white, Chad. Also, is it possible Jed just revealed Glenn's supervillain origin story? <laughs> you're driving the in brain the, melter. <laughs> you're driving in your car. You listen to the podcast. You're thinking, hey, this, what could go wrong here? So you hear something so amazing, Splat. it melts your brain. Right. You're going right into a ditch. Exactly right. Me? Exactly right. So uh, please be careful. Well, here's what well, I got to ask. My question. Hit us. Well, I, I was so many ask, questions for a man of genius. When you when you are a certified <laughs> genius, do they send you like a packet? Is there like a is there like a plaque? Or is is there like a shirt or a vest or are there like buttons? Do you have to? Is there is there like a special uniform or anything like that? Like when well, you're in public, the, in, it's a great question. What you do is you take the book where uh, on one page at the bottom of the page, sort of in the corner, it says something nice about you. Now you bookmark that page. Yep. Okay. Uh, then what you do is you carry that book around with you everywhere you go. <laughs> Every now and then, people are like, hey, who are you? Well, I'll tell you who I am. <laughs> you open it up, see? You point to the paragraph. They read it, and they're like, but that doesn't even mention your name. You're like, but it's talking about me. See the word that I underlined? <laughs> Genius. <laughs> that, that's me. That. What it, Sir, know. that's all well and good, but you still can't park here. Yeah, see, um, because uh, we're fighting ignorance, y'all. Yeah, we are. You know yeah, I mean? we are. I mean, you really more than the rest of us. But clearly, I'm on the, the rest front of us line. are supplying the ignorance for you to fight. <laughs> I'm basically a bazooka of wisdom, <laughs> <laughs> trying to explode the ignorance that's out there. Right. Okay. Right. right. Certified Zonerfin genius. Exactly right. Okay, they wouldn't. They can't print it if it's not true. Uh, that's never happened before. Okay, so here's what <laughs> here's what it is. If you feel during the course of this podcast your brain temperature shooting up, 
out yeah. of control. Stop. You got to hit pause. You got to, you know what, you put you put your head between your knees. Hit the brakes. Breathe. Let it, you know, you know, let it, let it, you got to marinate on it for a minute. Let it ease up. Then get back into it. No question about it. You know can you mean? paint like... Can can you paint a bazooka with that like shark mouth on it, like in the World War Two era, you know, right. planes, and just yes. like certified Zondervan genius? I like that the part Lee thought he should bring up whether or not you could do it is painting the bazooka, <laughs> procuring the bazooka. Right. Apparently, he's got that part all figured out. Right, no doubt. But could you paint it? <laughs> That's what I'm saying is, because uh, people out there, you know. They they don't know. Sure. That's the problem. Absolutely. You ask them, what's the deal? They say, I don't know. Right. Okay. They need answers. Yes, clearly. They need solutions. Yes. What do we they do They need here? tubes. They need the tubes. How are you getting where you're going? You you're know, driving it, your car like it, a chump? Internal combustion? Like there's explosions happening there? Someone could get hurt. Exactly right. We don't want that. We don't. We don't want that. Get in the tube where it's safe. Has anyone ever been riding in a pneumatic tube and had any kind of a mishap? No. Well, no, but it's uh, kind of a small sample size of zero. Uh, and that one kid at the bank that one time. Let me tell you what. You get a you get a dude. So you get in your tube. Right. You got a dude the other end. He's got a bicycle pump. He's sure. pumping you right along the way you're going. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Now, look, Glenn, before I feel like I can responsibly declare emergency off, mm-hmm. and y'all, as you're listening, we would never be so irresponsible as to declare emergency off when we haven't actually right. handled the emergency. Here's right. what I want to know. This is a deep phrase I just came up with. Yep. With great genius comes great responsibility. Wow. Okay. okay. Uh, you're welcome. Good thing yeah. Stan Lee's never sued anybody. <laughs> Here's what I want to know is, I think it's possible, it could even happen in this episode, that a genius thought will come to you so powerful, so impactful, that you know it would melt their brains. Right. You you know it would. That would be it. What I want to know is, can you keep that thought inside? What, he's pulling punches? Is that what's happening? Of responsible genius. This this is what I'm saying is, there's no way to contain it. So it's just going to come out. It's going to happen. It's going to come out. You know what? Brace yourself. It's a veritable Chernobyl of genius. That's what it is. Well, here, I got two things to say then to our audience. Right. You've been warned. You've been warned. To the rest of us, a very cautious emergency off. Emergency off. And if you want to hear Glenn kind of get called the genius, but not really. As a matter of fact, I've got in front of me because Glenn bought us all copies and forces us to carry them around at all times. (laughs) (laughs) I'll read from the passage. On the surface, it appears that these local churches are serving ex-inmates. He's talking about the churches that come to the bridge. Often new disciples of Christ and their transformation and leaving behind ungodly choices and putting off the old self and putting on the new. Ephesians 4.24, Colossians 10. But the genius of this ministry is in the way that it teaches churches to be God's new creation. The fact is that many addicts, prostitutes, and people recently released from prison come to faith in Jesus Christ and want to worship with his people. But when they show up at church, they are often treated as if, because of their differences, they don't belong. They attend church, and because they look different, speak differently, act differently, they worship amid glares and questions about whether or not they belong. The cold shoulder would be an improvement over some of the receptions they've experienced. Churches that don't receive these brothers and sisters in Christ with hospitality are grieving the one Holy Spirit who unites all of us and each, in, all, who unites all of us with each other in a new creation that is fact. Whether we 
whether or not we would choose it or always live up to it. That's actually a really good passage, and actually one of the best descriptions I've heard of someone other than Glenn explaining the theory behind the way the bridge is set up. Well, I and and it's it's a it's a it's a brave thing to say. It's a it's a true thing, uh, and I, it's what the church uh, definitely needs to hear. And it's one of the reasons why we love Noah Tolley. We, we like him as a dude because uh, uh, he, he's absolutely right about all that stuff. And and uh, uh, you know, as we're saying here, he's been to the bridge. The, the the guy that we're talking about that you can buy his book at the Christian bookstore has been at the bridge and has served food to the guys that yeah. we're working with. That's yeah. the kind of guy yeah. we're talking about here. And again, that's Noah J. Tolley, T O L Y. The book is called Cities of Tomorrow and the City to Come. It uh, comes out on May 5th, so it should be out when you hear this. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Zondervan.com. And as we mentioned before, uh, previously, Noah Tully was kind enough to write a Bridgebox desk devotional for us. So yes. that's the kind of quality people we got rolling through that there Bridgebox. Right. Sign up and find out for yourself. MissionOSA.com slash Bridgebox. And sign up for the younger version. MissionOSA.com slash BBLY. $8 to support ministry and get a lot of cool stuff for yourself. All right, we move on to our first question here. It came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox, and it says, Why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't God just save people? If Jesus' death was necessary, why did he have to suffer and be humiliated? Couldn't God have used a different, more peaceful way to provide salvation? Jed, why don't you start us off? Great questions. And really cool. Uh, delighted that you that you'd write in. Uh, both Glenn and Lee, I have no doubt, are going to tell you a whole lot about the theology and, and the uh, biblical quality of, of the answers to your questions. But I'd like to start us off actually with something a little bit different. Jesus did die. Um, uh, no matter how uh, offended you are by what he went through, and it certainly makes sense to be offended because he went through some awful stuff, it already happened. Um, there, there's nothing any of us can, can do about it. We're meant to receive it. And again, Glenn and Lee both are going to tell you something about that here in a minute. But here's what I'd like to encourage you to begin thinking about is there are people going through terrible suffering and humiliation and degradation right now, and you should be offended by that. That's right. And yeah. you have the power to do something about that. Right. You weren't there in Palestine 2,000 years ago. You couldn't do anything about that, about what Jesus went through. You can do something about what the people in your town are going through today. You have that power. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can't stop all of it. Maybe um, you can only be you know, one solitary candle in the midst of a dark world. But you can do that. You can do something to alleviate someone else's suffering. And here's the thing to know. There is no greater, better way to honor the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross than for you to go and alleviate the suffering of another human being. Right. There is no greater, better way to honor that sacrifice than to live out that love and service and help and healing to other people. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Take those feelings that you have. Take that sense of horror that you feel about what Jesus went through and point that at serving other people. Um, that's that's the right way um, to place that. That's the right way to point that. Again, Glenn and Lee both are going to get into the theology of it, but um, it should bother you. What Jesus went through was a terrible thing. It should bother you. What other people go through today should also bother you. And in Jesus' name, you get the honor of doing something about it. Yeah, That's a really great place to uh, start off. And Lee, why don't you start walking us a little bit on that journey, that theology, particularly the idea of uh, why did he have to die as that relates to uh, what the debt he was paying? Yeah, as Matt's saying, what Jesus was doing in his death on the cross was uh, uh, he was paying our debt, uh, a debt that we owed because of 
the sin in our life, to, just to put it really simply. I mean, the, and that's the reason that Jesus is the only way to God, because Jesus is the only one who tackles and takes care of this issue of sin. Basically, when you, like, if you, if you do something to offend somebody, or if you have a debt with somebody, like if I owe Glenn some money, and, you know, if he was to, you know, if I was to say to him, dude, I can't pay it back this week, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to get you to extend this, and and then the next week I come to him and I still can't pay it back or whatever. And if he finally decides, okay, you know what, brother, I'm just going to forgive this debt. Well, what that means is that Glenn is out that money. If he forgives my debt, he assumes the penalty of my debt. Right. He is out that money. In order, right. it's it's not one of these things where God can just forgive your sin and just say, okay, we're we're cool. In order for God to forgive the the penalty the debt of <clears throat> of our wrong and 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 just the the brokenness of this world and all that stuff that sin has brought on he had to pay for it, it, it if he's going to forgive it then he's out then he's the one who assumes the penalty of the debt and that's why god became a person who then had to go through this horrible thing this is the this is the death that we deserve. That's what the book of Romans says, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life because Jesus paid for us. Um, and, and the thing is, is that, as Jed's saying, it's what happened to Jesus, it did happen. It's offensive. It's, it was horrible. It was, uh, it, it was messy. It was costly. It was terrible. And that's because that's, that, that is what the, the, the face of sin is. It was a, a messy, costly awful thing. But the, the truth is that Jesus died to pay for all of it. And he died to pay that debt so that you never would have to, so that you don't have to live under guilt and you don't have to live under shame. You never have to do that ever because Jesus said, as he was dying, it is finished. I have paid the whole thing. It's over. I don't want, I don't want sin to ever be between us again. I have paid for it and taken care of it. And that's why he's the only way. It's absolutely uh, fantastic. Glenn, you want to close out on this? Absolutely. You ask, you know, why did Jesus have to die? Why, why couldn't he just uh, um, do it some other way? Uh, the short answer to that question is I don't know. Uh, don't, I don't actually know why uh, Jesus uh, did what he did, and I don't know why uh, God the Father does what he does. I have no idea. Um, the I think the mentality that a lot of theologians may have or people who study theology may have is that um, that Jesus has to do and God has to do what's in the Bible. Uh, <laughs> as if the Bible is uh, the supreme thing. And, and well, well, God woke up and he said, well, I do. Well, let me look at the Bible. Oh, that's what I'm supposed to do today. That's what I have to do. I can't, I can't do anything other than this. You yeah. Yeah. But uh, I I don't uh, I, I don't believe that's how that came about. <laughs> uh, I think uh, uh, God's bound to do uh, what He wants to do, how He wants to do it, and I think it's worth having developing and, and, and cultivating that perspective on God. He's yeah. He has His own idiosyncratic ways of doing things. Um, uh, God has a, a very strong sense of what He cares about. Uh, and tries to make that clear. I think uh, the story of uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus makes a very powerful statement of what God thinks about sin. I think it's yeah. saying uh, that he is very, very serious about sin uh, 
being uh, uh, stuff we need to avoid and get away from, and he's very, very, very serious about getting sin out of the picture. Uh, so that is to say that uh, the the the, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus is telling us about what God thinks of the nature of sin, but it also tells us what God thinks about us and the love that he has for us, the size of it, the dimension right. of it, the, the extent of it, uh, and uh, the, the, will, the sacrifice that he's willing to make. Uh, it, it, you know, the pain and, and the, 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 the pathos and the humiliation and all of that, all of that demonstrates what he's willing to do to demonstrate yeah. his love for us. So... I think uh, it's it's worth getting our head into a, a mindset of not only asking this kind of question, but asking this about all the stuff that we read about in the Bible, all the stuff that uh, that we we've learned about Jesus and his character, the things he did, the things he said. To look at that, and say, you know, he didn't have to do it that way. So why did he do it that way? Mm-hmm. What did he mm-hmm. mean by that? Jesus did not pick. 12 academics yeah. at all. He didn't do that on purpose. Now, uh, Paul was a scholarly guy. He knew his stuff. He, you know, he had... Uh, well, and, and Matthew, in a sense, was a scholarly guy as well. Yeah, you know, these guys, you know, so... Uh, and when he, when he picked them, this wasn't sort of the thing of the day where you had sort of a philosopher who would philosophize and people would write it down. And this is the collected writings of the, the philosopher and so on and so forth. Uh, this wasn't that. This was, uh, you know, well, what's going on, Jesus? Well, we're going to go to this town. And we're going to do a thing. Well, uh, they don't like us over there. They're going to throw rocks at us. Well, we're going anyway. Okay, great. Here now, we get in a boat. Storm. You know, here, <laughs> heal, heal this person. Put the demons in the pigs. Pigs run off a cliff. They run us out of town. Great. Thanks, Jesus. What are we supposed to get out of that? You know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Why are we doing all this? Well, let me yeah. tell you a story about a necklace. Yeah, exactly. Why are we doing this? Who is, why did you pick these guys? Why are you? There's a lot of interest. If you start questioning this, like that's what I'm really trying to end on here, is that you, you need to question this stuff more. Why sure. did he do Absolutely. what he did this kind of way? Because I think it's going to tell you a ton about God's character. No doubt. Yeah, that's absolutely right. One thing I'll tackle on the end here, um, this, a, this may not be the most um, widely accepted Bible scholar thing. I haven't actually read this too many places, but it's a little pet theory of mine. There's a thing going on in the cross that's actually beyond what we were able to see with the people they were able to see. So not only is Jesus dying a physical death, which is happening, it says, you know, he died that we may live. Well, we're all going to die a physical death, so surely he can't be referring to that physical death. Um, there was also something spiritual going on that right. it was beyond the ability of people to comprehend. When Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm not entirely sure he's just talking about physical pain. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. right before he breathed his last. So yeah. there was only one person in the history of the world who didn't do anything wrong. There's only one person in the history of the world who cried out to God earnestly wanting fellowship with God and what denied that. Yeah. Right. And that was Jesus on the cross. He was Mm -hmm. part of taking all of our sin was that spiritual force separation from God. The only time in the history of the universe that had happened. Mm. So if that was played out in the realm that people could see it in a very kind of genteel orderly way, that wouldn't really 
a play that wouldn't really show what was going on. Jesus didn't die a physical death so that you wouldn't die a physical death. He died a spiritual death so that you wouldn't have to die a spiritual death. And really what was going on the cross, important though it was, was in a lot of ways symbolic, not in that it wasn't actually happening, but in the way of it was pointing to something else that was happening, that was happening on like an even deeper level. So that's one of those things, again, there's not a one answer to things like this. When you say, why did Jesus die? Why did God choose to do these things this one way and not the other? But there's a lot of layers to it. There's a lot that as you keep kind of walking with the Lord, coming back to the same parts of scriptures, you're going to keep finding new and different and uh, complementary answers, stuff like that. It's one of the things really cool about the Bible. All right, we're going to move on to our next question here. It came in anonymously to our Tumblr. It says, so I met this guy, and he sounded fantastic. We like each other, enjoy the same activities, seem to both be pursuing Christ as intently. So we started dating. So far, so good. Everything is great about him until he mentioned that he wanted his future wife to stay at home instead of working. (laughs) That's not a choice I feel is right for me, like at all. But he... But he was so great otherwise that I started to second guess myself. Cannot seeing eye to eye on this be resolved in the future, or is this a deal breaker? Am I being selfish? Is my interest in my career scaring away potential suitors? I'd appreciate your advice. Thank you. Lee, why don't you kick us off? No, no, you're not scaring away potential suitors. Uh, My first Not the good ones, anyway. (laughs) My first question is, how old is dude? Um, What does he know about the world? at all um no one in their 20s should be setting up resolutions about (laughs) their life about anything other than i believe in jesus i'm gonna stick by that one otherwise um he needs to not be setting up this is the way that my life is gonna go it's ridiculous um no, I mean, look, if if there is a couple who, you know, you you know, th- they both decide this is the what the Lord has for us right now, we're going to, you know, uh you know, stay home, take care of the house and the kids and that kind of stuff and that's what the decision that we've arrived at together, we prayed about it, this is what we feel like is right for their our family. That's wonderful and that's absolutely excellent. That's that's a great thing. But some dude saying, "I am pronouncing this is the way that my life is going to be for the rest of my life." That is not the way to do anything. There's actually <clears throat> there's actually a really cool place in the book of James in chapter 3 where he talks about um, the difference between worldly wisdom and wisdom from above, like uh, the wisdom of a, a person who's walking in the Spirit. And he says this word, he says that wisdom from above is submissive. And it's a word that sometimes you'll see it um, translated into the English as reasonable. And it's actually, it's a, it's a compound word. If you were to look at the original language, which you can do easily, you can go on biblos.com and look on the interlinear of, you know, James 317. It's right there. It's not, this is not rocket science. And you'll see that it's a, it's a compound word made up of two Greek words. One is the word good or well, and the other word is the word persuaded. And what he's saying is that people who have godly wisdom are people who go into conversations with this mindset, I do not have my mind made up, and I am willing to listen to your point of view. I am well persuadable. You make a good case, I'm willing to listen to that. I, yeah. am, not, I, do, I am not entrenched on anything that I think, except for the stuff that from my God that is immovable. You know, Jesus was God. He died to pay for my sins. Those, you know, the foundations of our faith. Otherwise, 
I'm willing to listen to you. If someone is not reasonable, if they're not well persuadable, this is not wisdom. This is not the kind of look. And and you don't relationships are hard enough. I, I remember one time I called, I was I actually called Glenn to get some advice on somebody that had asked me a question about a relationship. And and I said, well, you know, this person called me and they said, do you think this is a good idea? And Glenn's first thing was, well, you're talking about a man and a woman getting together. So no, it's not a good idea um, from, <laughs> from the outset. Right. So, I mean, relationships are hard enough without, you know, uh, without trying to deal with somebody who's already entrenched on ideas about the world that he has no clue about. I mean, this... This dude has no idea how the world works in any way, and he uh, and but he is being completely unreasonable, and that's just not how a wise person works. That's absolutely right. Um, yeah, there's a lot going on here, and there's just some warning signs. Not because, as Lee pointed out, and I want to be clear on this, not because somebody staying home isn't good. Sure, right. But the assumption yeah. of my future wife, who I haven't met, will behave this is. way. Is a little bit of a danger sign, is it not, Glenn? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly it. I mean, um, the idea. Let, let's imagine a a reasonable way of arriving at this viewpoint. Let's say that you are raised in a single parent home, and you you realize, you know, my parent uh, worked so hard, and and I was a latchkey kid, and my parent was 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 saddled with so much stress and responsibility. It's just so much better to have both parents be involved in a child's life and have one parent that can be at home when the kid gets home from school, et cetera, and so on. That's That would be a reasonable way of arriving at this viewpoint. Doesn't make it right or sure. whatever. But yeah, it, that's it, the beginning of a conversation, not the end of yeah, one. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it, 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 it would say I've had a certain type of experience that I wouldn't want to pass on to my future kids. Um, it's possible to say, you know, I've done the math, and I I think having a parent stay at home is good for kids and so on and so forth. I think that's fine. There's nothing in the world wrong with him having that viewpoint, even though he's not the one doing it, which is where we start to have problems. (laughs) But the idea here is, as Lee's pointing out, I've made up my mind for this woman what she's going to be doing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that starts we're down we're we're in we're in bad territory my yeah. man don't yep. don't yep. go down that road but it's it's it, i i think the the right way of looking at this is uh this is something a couple decides yep. not something a single dude <laughs> decides <laughs> Thank you. uh this is stuff that where you sit down and you look at given my unique situation given your unique situation we have to figure out what's going on here. Uh, it, you you may discover that your wife has a lot more earning potential than you do. Therefore, according to your math, you're supposed to stay home and take care of the kids. She's supposed to go to work. Right. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's Absolutely. nothing in the world wrong with that. If you find that he's unwilling to do that kind of uh, mission, then mm. we found out a little bit something about this dude. Uh, but to be clear... Uh, yes, this kind of difference in viewpoint of what marriage is about is a deal breaker. You do you absolutely want to look at this and say if you've made up your mind yeah. of what role a woman needs to fulfill, and it happens to be nowhere near what you want to do. Yes, that's a deal breaker, and and, and nothing wrong with that. Uh, no, you're not being selfish in that. That's not how that works. Uh, now, 
it yes, it would be wrong. Again, trying to imagine how it might be wrong for you to have your attitude. It might be wrong if you say, "I want to have a career, and I don't care. I don't care with the kids." Whatever, woo, woo, woo. That's different. That would be a bad attitude. Sure, that would be yeah. a selfish attitude. I hey, I'm going to work and do whatever I want to do, and kids going to have to fend for themselves, and so on and so forth. And and if he don't like it, he can do it. You know, he can do whatever. Now that that would be selfish. That that sure. you, you if you're willing to say, hey, you know, I want to work together with my husband to figure out what's the best way to raise these kids. What's the best solution to that? Do we hire a nanny? Do we uh, take a, a, a little bit time away from work? Do we work from home? So on and so forth. There's lots and lots of options. If you're open to those options and he's not, uh, yes, that is a deal breaker. No, you're not being uh, selfish. And I think the bottom line concern here is, am I limiting my choices? And I think a lot of single people are concerned about that. And as Lee said, uh, you're you're not limiting your choices in the sense that this this isn't the type of relationship to choose. You're you're only excluding people who really have an unhealthy attitude towards marriage, and and that's it's okay to do that. Absolutely, Jed. Well, two things that I'd offer. You've heard a lot of good content. You know, the first is just to echo what Lee and Glenn have already said, which is if you've got a person where their basic message to you is, I've made up my mind and the woman's place is in the home, then um, it's time to break that off yesterday. There's -hmm. there's absolutely no question about that. Now, if it's something where, uh, and you're going inevitably, no matter who you're with, you're going to have these moments where the conversation is, hey, the environment I was raised in, that's all I ever saw was, you know, the men work, the women stay home. And so I kind of unreflectively always thought that's what it would be like for me has just been my assumption i recognize it doesn't have to be that way i recognize that you know that may not be a good fit for us it's just that happened to be what i grew up with so i'd kind of assumed but i'm down for whatever it needs to be let's sort it out together that's not a problem um i don't know that that's what you're describing here um but that's that's not a problem and the thing is you're going inevitably to run into situations for both of you where you always thought something would work a certain way and then you get into this relationship and you realize, actually, it needs to work differently than that. Uh, that, that will be true. That's a guarantee. Um, the, the key thing there is, is openness. That's, that's really the thing is I'm not determined to go with this idea. Exactly. Um, right. um, I, I was doing some counseling with a couple a, a few years ago, and they were having some, some problems with, with some family members. And, and there was actually a situation uh, uh, along the lines of what may end up being true for you, where the, the wife made more money than the husband. And uh, the wife had a brother who commented, um, you know, I just can't respect your husband. I can't respect a man that doesn't earn as much as his wife. Right. Um, no, we later found out that the wife's brother was saying this while living unemployed in his parents' basement. Uh-huh. Um, so, uh, so his respect was critical to a happy, healthy life. Really right. critical. So you don't you don't want to be that guy. You don't you don't want to be with that guy. Right. But here's the one other thing that that I would add is I think part of what you're saying you know is I don't want to be limited. I, I don't want to be in a relationship where people are trying to hold me down. And you shouldn't want that. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. To the contrary, I think you should insist on a relationship for yourself where you both press each other forward yeah you both insist that each other live into the giftedness god has given you and press the bounds of what you can do with your lives yeah Mm -hmm. yeah he should be uplifting and supporting her and he he should be cheering you on and making things possible in a way that that the the goal of a godly couple is that you can do more for the lord together as a team than you could do separately right but realistically that should play out really in every arena of life um there there is no question there are things that i do 
do today in, in ministry and in life where I do them today because at some point I said to my wife, you know, I don't know if I could ever do that. And she said, and why is that exactly? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. M- make me a good argument for why right. my husband can't do that. Right, right. So, well, I, I mean, when you when you put it that way and in that <laughs> right. tone of voice, I suddenly don't think I have a point anymore. <laughs> right. um, but yeah. that but that goes both ways. Yeah. Um, that goes both ways. And the thing is, I think you want to seek that. I think you want to seek a relationship where you urge each other on, you spur each other on, you cheer each other on, and you call each other out when you're settling. That's you right. say, I think you're hiding from what you can do here. I think you're hiding from what the Lord mm-hmm. has for you. How do I, how can I help you, you know, move forward on this? So not only do you not want to be in a relationship where people are holding you down, you want to be in a relationship where people are urging you forward. Amen. That's absolutely right. One of the things that, again, I, we want to be crystal clear about this. No, nobody's saying that it's wrong if a woman wants to stay home while the husband works. Not at all. Nobody's saying it's wrong if a husband wants to stay home while the wife works. Right. Nobody's saying it's absolutely. wrong if you, I don't know, both save up and both stay home for a year, both work or whatever you want to do. The problem, the deal breaker, as it is, in this situation is someone saying, coming into a relationship saying, women do this and men do that. Yeah. Nobody has ever had a happy marriage with that idea. No, period. Because there's this, there's just this concept of trying to cast your mate yeah. Yeah. as opposed to partnering with them, finding someone. There's this, mm-hmm. I have this really yeah. rigid checklist of what people do who are wives. I'm going to find me one of them. <laughs> right. That's a problem. Yep. Because it turns out, I don't know, people are different. That's right. The other problem with that is, and this is a little deeper, a little more of an assumption on my part, but this guy earned some assumptions. Yeah. Um, Yeah, A lot of times people who come from something like this are just really, really insecure. Yeah. There's this idea of, again, back to Jed's story, I just couldn't respect a man who made less money than his wife. Why is that? You get the money either way. Yeah, who cares? What are we, there's not, no, what... Is your is your idea of masculinity so thin right. that anything anyone can point at and say doesn't seem very manly to me is right. going to unravel the whole thing? <laughs> yeah. Again, you don't want to be in a relationship with that person. It's the same no, way. There's right. a lot. There's a lot. A lot. A lot that gets put on both men and women about kind of what uh, gender roles are and how those play in relationships and what you should be doing. And here's the thing: as we say all the time on the show, relationships are mission specific. Yeah. What's the decision, the setup, the whatever that gets us where we want to go in this relationship? So if someone comes in with a, it has to be this way, it has to be that way, that has nothing to do with the specifics of this relationship, that is a train wreck waiting to happen. And uh, to close us out on this, and, uh, Glenn mentioned it, I think that he has it too, this idea of, am I scaring guys off? Probably. That's, That's a good, good thing. Yeah. You know, because yep. you don't want any of them. You want that one right. mm-hmm. who can put up with stuff. So you say, "Hey, I want to." And it's an interesting idea, and it's one that women get pressured into. We say, "Hey, it's it, I worked hard to get my degree, and I like my work, mm-hmm. and it's important to me, and it's something I get a lot of joy from and value from. I think I bring utility to my community with that." So to say, I I wouldn't want a guy who thinks all that stupid to not want to date me. Huh? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, we talk all the time about not making decisions by fear. One of the big things you got to get on the other side of in relationships, if you're scared of being alone, you can't make good relationship decisions. That's correct. Right. That's right. Yeah. You got to start from a place of if this guy has a problem, there's 10 more that look just like him. That's right. Who are going to, f- who won't have this problem. Yeah, yep. That's right. And that, I know that sounds ungodly and I know it sounds unromantic, but that's the yep. way you get to the place you want to go. Yep. As we're talking about, you got to set a bar high and have someone clear it. 
as opposed to constantly trying to lower your bar to kind of meet the thing. Men are like buses. Another one will come along in 15 minutes. <laughs> and smell a little funny. That's probably <laughs> true right. also. Move on to our last question here. It came in anonymous on our Tumblr. It says, on the podcast, you joked about using Photoshop to make it look like Glenn was speaking at the Passion Conference. <laughs> yeah. Still a free month of Bridgebox and T-shirt out there for anyone willing to do that. Don't do it. And my question is, do you guys get asked to speak at conferences and rallies or mega churches or seminaries or whatever? And if so, what do you say? <laughs> what would you say? Glenn, I can tell the people for a fact you have spoken at mega churches, conferences, and seminaries. Yeah. What did you say? <laughs> I just said nice things. And, and I quote, nice. I, won't, I won't share the name of the church, but it's a big one. Everything you do is wrong. Yeah. Every thought you have is wrong. That Every instinct that leads you to the things you think and do is wrong. <laughs> I did to be fair, okay. I did not say that in, in that church. I only said that to the gathered leadership of that <laughs> mega church. Well, that is an important well, addendum. And, so, and with yeah. a particular name tag on, I seem to remember. Yes, I. I you know they, what Hugh says at the conferences is they, really between. They, they insisted and on uh, that that I wear a name tag, <laughs> and I said I don't want to. I'm going to be on stage with my name behind me on the PowerPoint. So they'll probably pick it up from that, and they said, "No, we really want you to wear one anyway." <laughs> so I wrote. You know how they gave you the little hello. My Hi, name my is. name is. Yeah. So I wrote on the, the, the name tag, first name, Hugh, H-U-G-H, last name, Jass, J-A-S-S, <laughs> and put that on... A little throwback my, to the substitute teacher days. I put that on my chest and went up and did the entire talk <laughs> that way. In front of a megachurch with a hundreds of millions of dollars a year budget. That's correct. Uh, so to answer your question, uh, yeah, we do. We actually, uh, I, uh, I do in, in particular. The, these other guys have uh, had their opportunities as well. Uh, I do speak at seminaries, yes. Um, have spoken at mega churches, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, to be deadly honest with you, it's actually not my favorite thing. Um, not not that it's bad stuff necessarily. I think we all prefer sort of our. Um, home field advantage you know we love preaching to our own people that we know and love and we built up relationships with um i asked a room for one on one particular uh occasion i asked a, a, a room full of prison ministry guys what they thought the ideal number of people was to preach to if they could preach to any size room and almost every single person in the room gave me the exact same answer which was 12 yeah 12 people uh, and uh, and I can go by that. If I never pe preach in front of a larger audience, then that'd be okay with me. If you're running a prison chapel service, you don't want to preach to more than twelve yeah, people. Yeah, it gets a little dangerous over time. <laughs> Too many of them in there. Um, I I like preaching to small crowds, talking to small groups. I I like being able to see people face to face, interact with them. Uh, so um, I, you know, I. I to to answer your question though, uh, I tell them exactly what I tell you on this podcast, in the exact same tone of voice, in the exact same language. I absolutely give it to them both barrels. Uh, there, the the people who work for me uh, love hearing me speak at those things. 
and love watching me say exactly what it is that they need to hear and stuff. I have a thing. I, I have a hang-up, uh, and I, I hope that I can give you my hang-up, which is I try as hard as I possibly can to insist on being the same person in life that I am when I'm with my friends and I'm griping and talking about stuff. If I say to you, this mega church and wah, 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 and I complain about it, whatever... If I if I'm in that mega church and they ask me, I will tell them the exact same thing in the exact <laughs> same voice because that's just that's this is me being honest. Nine times out of ten, if you hear us say something on this podcast, I have said that to that church or to those people or in that situation, whatever it is. Uh, so you hear us being critical, and it sounds like we're saying a lot of that stuff from sort of an outsider's perspective. We're not. We're really not. I mean, we we cultivate, and and I specifically cultivate a little bit of a, uh, you know, Captain Jack Sparrow kind sure. of uh, you the know, naughty the, pirate, the naughty little pirate, in the hopes that you won't get invited to speak at these things. It, but it, it doesn't work. Exactly right. Um, but the truth is, we do. We 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 speak to denominational leaders as seminaries all the time, and uh, they share all kinds of stuff with us that they're dealing with and struggling with. Uh, the, I think the real question, and I'll kick it around to these other guys to, to address, is how much do they listen yep. to what we're saying, okay. as opposed to the men and women that, that, yep. that we work with uh, behind bars and that, that, that Lee works with uh, at his church. Uh, is something about those large institutions and those large people they don't really deal with change very well, yeah. and they, you know, just one voice saying something different is uh, e- is easy to get lost in. Absolutely, Jed. Well, just to pick right up on that question of do they listen? Um, uh, uh, we do everything you asked about. We do, um, and and actually more regularly than you think. And I think the real question is, do they listen? And the answer is sometimes they super do, mm-hmm. and sometimes they super don't. Yeah. Um, you know, um, you asked, what do we say? Uh, for me, and, and um, you know, whether I'm speaking or leading worship, um, i generally focusing on grace and encouragement, yeah. uh, because those are the two things that actually get talked about the least in most um, church environments. Yeah, um, actually, yeah. Uh, And... Um, I uh, was leading worship for a mega church here in Chicago a couple years ago, and it was a Sunday. They actually at the the campus I was at, they had one of their founding pastors of like the whole network was there and, and preaching. And you know, I got up and, and did my thing, and you know, it was hey, you know, and, and God just loves us, and we're here. We've all made mistakes, and that's okay, and it's it's no problem. And this dude had a look of just I hate every single thing this dude mm. is saying, yeah. just just the entire time, wow. and just I mean, just loathing. Um, you know, uh, uh, part of the work that we do in order to stay alive involves reading body language and nonverbal cues. And this dude hated me. I right. mean, it was, you know, um, so he, he was super not into to anything I had to say. By contrast, um, it's a few years back, we were in Los Angeles area and um, I've been asked to lead uh, some music at a very wealthy church. And um, they, they had two services. I think they had like a uh, like a 9.30 and an 11, something like that. And the 9.30 sermon, the pastor, bless his heart, he gave this extended sermon like you do, you know, 40 minutes. And it was it was a Bible lecture on some passage out of Third Hezekiah in the 38th mm. chapter. And, you know, there's uh, seraphim and cherubim and beasts mm. with horns and, you know, going on and on and on. It's just, you know, to be honest, kind of awful. And, um, you know, I was supposed to lead the closing song and I decided, well, 
you know, I'm just going to talk about grace. So, yeah, I did my whole spiel. Look, I know, you know we've all made mistakes. I know some of us here today, and we got things we wish just from this past week we could take back, but God loves us, and he's there for us. He's ready to give us a fresh start. We're going to sing a song about that, and no matter what you've been through, God loves you. I tell you that to say, when we got to the second service, that sermon had suddenly changed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that, that dude wasn't really interested in talking about Third Hezekiah anymore. Right. He wanted to talk about love and forgiveness and God's yeah. grace, yeah. and isn't that why we're all here? Yeah. And isn't, isn't that great, and isn't it lovely yeah. so i say it to say sometimes they don't listen at all and they're super not interested and sometimes they're actually surprisingly receptive right. and open yeah. and i think what that leads to is um there's a lot of different kinds of people in ministry yeah. some people are they are on what they're on and they're determined to be on it yep um, and uh, they're not interested in what you or i or anybody else has to say you know the, the first example that dude stood up and gave an equally useless sermon the one right. that hated me. You know right. I mean? It was just, it was... Um, uh, uh, he gave a useless sermon at you. He gave a useless sermon at me. It was it was not helping anybody. The second guy, clearly he wanted to be helping people. He just, you, you get uh, uh, wound up in things. You got a lot going on. You, you're used to, we got to talk about Third Hezekiah. And then someone says, you know, you don't actually. Mm-hmm. You, you could actually stand up and talk about God's love and grace and forgiveness. Because wow, you're totally right. I could right. do that. Right. Let's let's do that. Well, and that's you know I think the lesson in that for for you and I and all of us is th- churches are made up of imperfect people. Yeah. Uh, there's no such thing as a perfect church of perfect people. But what we do want to get to is a church with imperfect people who want to be on the right stuff. A church mm-hmm. with imperfect people who want to be about God's grace and love and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And sometimes maybe they wander off of that. We're talking too much about Third Hezekiah, and they're okay with bringing it back around and getting back mm-hmm. on the stuff that matters. And I encourage you, we would encourage you all to seek out that kind of church in your own life that even when they're imperfect, they want to be on that right stuff. It's just a matter of sometimes they get a little confused. Yeah, Absolutely. And Lee, you don't do too much stuff with other churches. You work for a church, but you do do a fair amount of uh, camps and training stuff for Young Life. So why don't you tell us about what you then. Well, the the cool thing about uh, getting to be a part of uh, uh, you know these some of these young life gigs is that a, a lot of times what I'm doing is coming in to train people who are then going out to do ministry. So uh, we get uh, you know staff people or volunteers together, and then we are all kind of huddling up for a few days before they go back out into the field. And that to me is super interesting work because, um, you know, these are most of the times these are either they're full time or part time staff or straight up volunteers who are, they have no money, they have very little support, they have, uh, they they are out there, you know, and uh, you know a lot of times just struggling, getting their teeth kicked in and stuff, and and not a whole lot of people cheering them on. And so when you go into an environment like that, and you remind people who they are and what they're good at, and what they're and and why they're awesome at doing their mission, and you encourage them and stuff, then they boy they come to life. It's like water on a plant. And it is the easiest, it's just the ball is on the tee just to come in and give people an encouraging word. And this is who you people are. And this is what we're going to go out there and do. It's really kind of a, uh, it's kind of like a pregame pep talk. And and I love getting to do stuff like that. And the really, really cool thing is if you're, if, if I get to go for a conference or something like that, is that all the time, whenever we have, you know, the doing that moment, that, you know, the moment of the training talk or whatever is really, really cool. But... 
it pales in comparison to all the times in between the talks when people are milling around, when we're having lunch or breakfast or something like that. Because then you get to sit down with somebody one-on-one at the table. I've heard Glenn say this a lot of times before. I remember him saying this about uh, speaking at a humongous multi-campus megachurch down in Houston where he's from. And uh, and him saying that you know that he would be much more comfortable if he could it would take forever but to sit down with every single person in that place one on one and do that yeah and that's what I love about going to those conferences meeting somebody asking them all about themselves finding out what's your problem what's your struggle in your ministry and and in thirty minutes can we come up with something that's going to help you just unlock the whole thing I'm a total outsider but let me hear what you're what you've got going on let me maybe bring a fresh perspective to it and let's see how we can really get you clicking on all cylinders and just earning the right to be heard. It always, it never fails. Whenever I get to go to those kinds of things, my second or third time training everybody is always a ton better because I've spent as much time as possible in the downtimes doing one-on-one conversations, sometimes even some counseling, earning the right to be heard. By the time I get up there that second or third time, I got 15 or 20 straight up friends in that room. And we are really connecting and that kind of stuff. And so that's, and that's for me as a pastor, that's the stuff that really fires me up is, is sitting down one-on-one, earning the right to be heard with you, figuring out what your problem is and how can we come up with a strategy to maybe fix that and then finding out how do I need to tweak this next talk that I'm going to give based on the actual problems that you're facing on your field and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I get to do is, is these kind of pregame prep, you know, pep talks or halftime speeches and stuff, and then really sitting down and, and working with people and trying to figure out how to unlock where they're maybe stuck. Awesome. Glenn, one thing to check us out on? Yeah, just, and I really want to pick up on what Lee's talking about here and, and, and want, want to kind of pull out some of the things that he's, he's describing there, uh, which is that what we're looking to do in speaking to these uh, conferences or whatever, talking to people seminary uh, uh, leaders and so forth, is uh, we're not coming in there with the tone of we have all the answers. Right, sure. right. That's kind of part of what Lee's describing there, uh, because we don't. They're facing problems, you know, who knows how to solve those problems. You know, we, we're, we're not uh, geniuses on that. But the thing is, we do understand the nature of the problem. Sure. In, in some cases, it's stuff that we've dealt with. In some cases, it's one of those things where it's obvious to us, but you kind of don't want to look at okay. it. Okay, yeah. Uh, so that's a lot of what we're doing is is coming in and saying, yes, things that are harsh, you know, we're ripping the Band-Aid off. We're saying, well, you know, uh, I, I remember there was a, 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 a large church, which, again, we will not name them, bless them, and... Um, I was in this church, and they were they were they were mentioning uh, one of the uh, staff people was mentioning that the pastor of that church, and I put air quotes around pastor of of a mega church, um, had written a book on how to do outreach, and they were looking to do some outreach, and they were bringing me in to, to wrote the to, book first, to, now looking to do some outreach. Yeah, and so they they said, well, maybe we ought to. Uh, you know, do pastor's book as a thing on how to do outreach and so on and so forth. And I, I had to stop them, and I, I, I gathered them together, the the the, uh, the the staff people from this megachurch, and say, you guys are terrible at outreach. 
you guys really, really super extra, extra, extra bad suck at outreach. <laughs> you don't know anything about it. You've never done it. Your pastor's never done it. The way you get people in here is by advertising. You buy billboard space and all that kind of stuff. That's not outreach. That's not outreach. You don't know anything about outreach. But it you, comes out of the outreach budget. Yes. yes right. So, um, but here's the good news is outreach is not super hard to do. It's not super hard to learn. I'd be happy to teach you. If you take me to lunch and buy me a hamburger, I'll tell you all about it. But. If you have a fantasy that you know about outreach when you don't know, and you're going to consult someone who's never done any of it. That's a hard problem to fix. You're going you're gonna to struggle with this problem again and again and again. Now, I don't know how to outreach in this neighborhood where you want to do outreach. I don't know about the specific challenges you face in reaching this specific population. That's the, that's the part that's on you. I don't have all the answers on that. But what I do know is I do understand the nature of the problem. I do understand the direction we are likely going to need to go in. I know that the outreach solutions that work across all sorts of different mission fields. But I want to come alongside you to encourage you, to build mm -hmm. you up, to lift you up, to talk about these challenges, to figure out step by step. And we're going to do that together. You're yeah. going to say, we tried this, it didn't work. And I'm going to say, well... Wow, uh, I thought that was going to work. Well, why don't we try this? And we, you, you keep retooling that. Everybody puts pitches in together. We, we get some good problem solving going. That's the kind of stuff that we're looking to do with people. It's not a situation where we know all the answers we're coming in and pontificating and all of that. It's, it's really that we understand the nature of the problem and can express that in a way other people can't. And other people... You know, it's one of those things where he's speaking truth to power. You know, this is a big megachurch. Everyone looks up to him. Everyone thinks they're awesome. Nobody's going to come in there and say, I love you guys, but y'all kind of suck at this. Because, they, 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 you know, they all want to be liked and they all sure. want to whatever it is. So uh, having the courage to do that is, is, is part of our role in, in working with them so we can get to a place where we're moving forward and we're providing that encouragement. That's absolutely right. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. Remember, you sign up for Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. Sign up for linear version, missionusa.com slash BBLYWR. Take out the outro song. This is a brand new band featuring in this month's Bridgebox, Lee's Friends out of Tennessee, The Year Woods. Yes. Awesome song that Lee wrote many years ago. It's a worship song based on Isaiah 54. They covered it. It's a really cool version. It's called Though the Mountains. We're going to take it out with that. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast, exploding ignorance with brain-melting genius bazookas. <laughs> Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my love is unfailing. Afflicted when you are lashed by storms, I will build you up where you are torn. Oh, my love will not be shaken, my compassion never ceases. Passion in his face
mountains be shaken and the hills be removed yet my love is unfailing for you when your city is afflicted when you are lashed by storms i will build you up where you are torn oh my love will not be shaken With compassion